Welcome to the Flamin Connect podcast, a podcast focused on the individual pieces that make up the larger community of people together doing what's right and making a difference. Today's hosts, we have myself, Trevor Grindy, Regan Kuntz, and Mitch Flamin. So, fun fact, at the original Flamin sales site in Southeast Saskatchewan, where I grew up, there was... Well, there was an old brick house that my grandpa and like, so my dad and, and all his siblings grew up in. And then they added a office onto the side of that, like just a little, just a little addition onto the side of the house. And there was a big red barn in the middle of the yard because like it was grandpa's farm. And in the hayloft of that barn is where we kept a bunch of uh, like air seeder hose and stuff like that. And they had my brother and I convinced that they were big snakes. Like there was big like <laughs> anaconda snakes up there for like a big part of our childhood so that we wouldn't go in the hayloft. How long did that that barn last? And we what tore it, to it down in nineteen ninety seven oh, yeah. when we built the exist the current Flamin sales dealership there right now. So that's where it was, right there? It was right there. Oh, we, yeah. yeah, we ripped it down and then where that office sits yeah. is where Actually, if you go on, probably if you go on the Flamin homepage, there's a picture. Uh, it's in the video. It's the video that rolls up. And the very first few seconds of that, there's a old farmyard. Like it's a black and white photo, and then it uh, it morphs into like the existing one. And I bet if you look close, there's like a barn in there, and then it's now the the building. That's the barn with the big anacondas in it. Did they flush the snakes out before <laughs> yeah. the barn went down? You know, I wonder. I wonder if I was around. I don't remember them ripping it down. Like, maybe it was an insignificant thing, but yeah, I don't. I don't have. I remember them ripping down the local elevators in town, and the whole town like huddled around. It was pretty cool. But I don't actually remember them ripping down the old barn at at the original Flamin site there. The town I grew up in, which was Anaheim, or just outside Anaheim. It's one of the only towns in Saskatchewan that does not have a green elevator. It never has because there is no rail line running through it. So another fun fact, when you uh, take like pilot school, like ground school, they teach you. Okay, so you, you need to learn how to fly a plane with no instruments, no nothing. Okay, so they teach you. And that's like one of the things, if anything ever happens, like how to properly crash a plane. <laughs> I'll say it like that. The, the first thing they say is fly the plane. So if you lose any of your instruments or you get lost, they teach you to find a rail line and buzz like the elevator. So on the side of the elevator, you could see what town you're in. So then you could go in reference to where you actually were. Yeah. And I'm, I wonder if they still teach that in pilot school because there's getting to be less and less, less, and less elevators. elevators yeah. yeah. Or rightfully so. But they're also being replaced by big inland cement terminals. But they don't have that nice small town name painted on the side of that no. terminal. A lot of them have farm names on them now. Yeah, yeah. Here's the did you know category. Did you know the top yielding crops in the world are corn, wheat, rice, potatoes. We covered those. The next ones on that list are cassava, soybeans, sweet potatoes, sorghum, yams, and plantains. I'm surprised soya beans would be under potatoes. Yeah, if that's the six. case. But I would say soya bean would be the... Oh, you said soya beans number six. So number there's six. a five there. Five is cassava. 
What is cassava? What is that? I don't even know. Cassava is a woody shrub of the Spurge family native to South America. Although a perennial plant, cassava is extensively cultivated as an annual crop in tropical and subtropical regions for its edible, starchy, tuberous root. It's a major source of carbohydrates. Cassava is predominantly consumed in boiled form, but substantial qualities are also used to extract a cassava starch called tapioca, which is used for food, animal feed, and industrial processes. It's one of the most uh, drought-tolerant crops capable of growing on marginal soils. Nigeria is the largest producer of cassava. Thailand is the largest exporter. Cassava is classified as either, either sweet or bitter. Both sweet and bitter varieties of cassava contain uh, nutritional factors, uh, antitoxins as well. The bitter varieties contain larger amounts, uh, so they have to be produced uh, or properly prepared before consumption. Uh, improper preparation of cassava can leave enough residual cyanide to cause acute cyanide uh, intoxication, goiters, uh, partial paralysis or even death. Hmm. So one of the largest produced <laughs> commodities in the world is toxic. Will kill you. Yeah. Unless you do it like blowfish. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless you produce it or prepare it properly, it's not healthy for you. Huh. And now you know. Okay, pop quiz. In 2001, the Saskatchewan Rural Municipality of Turtle River declared an agricultural state of emergency. The reason for this state of emergency was A, drought, B, floods, C, infestation of grasshoppers, D, infestation of gophers, E, infestation of turtles. Wow, it's either <laughs> grasshoppers or gophers, I think. Uh, I'm going to go with gophers. Sorry, it might not be those. Reg, that's where my head's at. You well, pick. I, I, so yeah. I, you guys tell me, I'm is Turtle River by Turtle Lake? Is that geographically where we're talking here? Not answering this. <laughs> then I'm wrong. So then I'm going to be way off because I'm going to, if it's up north where I think it is, then it wouldn't be a grasshopper issue. It would either be gophers or potentially flooding. I will go with flooding. Flooding? Mm. Okay. So yeah, the answer is gophers. There you go. Gophers, yes. The Richardson ground squirrel numbers were especially high uh, through the periods in 2001 many farmers complaining that the rodents were devastating their crops the uh, municipality of turtle river uh, declared the agricultural state of emergency primarily as a means of calling attention to the problem in hopes of convincing politicians to do something about it mm, interesting can we call a state of emergency here for um those Richardson ground squirrels he's talking about that we have an abundance of. <laughs> <laughs> they scare the daylight side of you when they come out of like a piece of tubing or something yeah, like that. They do. <laughs> they do. Well, last year we had some in the building again and, you know. Oh, we, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, um, some of us um, took the effort of bringing some fertilizer in from Trevor's sheep farm and um, making sure the soil was ready for a garden. Little did we know, after about two weeks of planting said garden, the golfers had decimated the uh, Decimated. The I see mm -hmm. what you did there. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's time for Now You Know. It's uh, where we talk to people, experts in the ag industry. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of pH levels. So, David, how does pH relate to the products we use in ag? pH is a baseball bat, right? 
you got you got basketballs, baseballs, and and golf balls in a 55 gallon drum, and you change the pH a large distance over a short period of time, it's like hitting that trash can or that that 55 gallon drum with a baseball bat. Okay, depending on how big the baseball bat is, is whether or not your balls fall out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the pH spectrum, there's you know goes from zero to 14. And each unit is is not one unit. It's a unit of 10. It's a logarithmic scale. So going from 6 to 7 is not one step. It's 10. Going from 6 to 8 is 100. Going from 6 to 12 is 10 to the 6. It's a million. How much is pH um, analyzed through either the fertilizer process or even uh, from a, a herbicide application? Um, and do you feel like it's it's something that should be looked at far greater than it is today? Absolutely. When you when you have two pieces on the pH spectrum that are leagues and leagues apart from each other, that's that's the that's the essence of an acid base reaction. So what you are creating in that in that situation is that if you have something that is a low pH unit like a herbicide, we'll we'll take Roundup. Uh, for for example, its its pH is about four or four and a half. If you mix that with something that's pH eight or nine, you're mixing something that is ten with five zeros behind it difference in terms of overall pH. And so you're you're essentially mixing a weak acid with a weak base, and you're going to create a salt. You're going to create something that you may not have intended to make in the first place. Mm-hmm. And also as a result of that, you. You plug get, booms, plug nozzles. Exactly, yep. exactly, and and so the the heat that's generated off of that as well. We we experience that when we do acid base reactions with our um, liquid fertilizer manufacturing is that we are heating up because we're taking things that are highly alkaline and ha- and highly acidic and we're mixing them together in a mm-hmm. controlled fashion. But one of the things that does happen is that we increase our temperature dramatically when that when that is experienced. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you're doing that in a poly tank as a farmer. Yep. You you run the risk of melting something that, you know, cost you money. Mm-hmm. Or having a big lump at the bottom of that tank and not the ability to get it out without cutting a hole in that tank. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's plenty of ways that you can turn something into plastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's really interesting stuff. Thanks a lot, David. We're going to move on to the last segment of our show today, and that's an interview with our special guest. And our guest today is Phil Flamin. Welcome. Thank you. Now, the first thing that uh, people are going to want to know that aren't really f- intimate with the uh, Flamin company or Flamin family is where do you fit in in the in the Flamin tree, the family tree? Uh, it would be Uncle Frank, Frank Flamin. Um, that's where it all started, I guess. So, yeah, my dad and Frank were brothers, and uh, I've worked with uh, Frank's sons and Rudy and Don and Steve. Good. Uh, so what was it like um, uh, on the on the farm, like growing up? Uh, growing up on my farm? Yep. Uh, just like every other Flamin' family, 10, <laughs> ten kids and big... <laughs> just... just uh, Workers. Yeah, just workers and worked the land. And I'm from a family of 10, so I got four, or three brothers and six sisters. And uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just one big family. Where do you fit in there, in the 10? I'm the youngest of 10. You're the youngest of 10. My dad called me the caboose. 
<laughs> so we talked about that a little bit today on how, and this is more on the Mitchell side, is that his brother kind of left a wide wake for him to really not get a lot of quote-unquote parenting when he was uh, growing up. Was that the same for you? Did your siblings uh, leave a wide wake for you to just do what you wanted to do? Well, yeah, I would have to say because there was three oldest brothers and then six sisters and then me. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it was kind of like wide open for me after they had six <laughs> girls in a row. So, did your girls, did your sisters ever dress you up in like doll clothes and stuff because you were the youngest? Uh, no, I don't. They kind of left me alone with that <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, what was it like growing up uh, on the farm? Did you guys uh, did did you get put to work right away, or there was enough stuff for your brothers and sisters to do? You didn't have to work really hard, or how how, how was it growing up? No, we worked hard right yeah. off the hop. I yeah. was driving a standard truck at like eight nine years old and our land was scattered if i always had an opportunity at 11 years old to drive the tractor and the cultivator through town instead of around town (laughs) i'd go through town so all my buddies would see me yeah but uh, no we worked hard and worked started young did that work ethic that's kind of what made you the person you are today i would say so yeah 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 were you guys cattle farmers too or just grain farmers a little bit of cattle not big cattle but we had cattle because you're raising 10 kids, so you're not going to the store to buy steak. You're raising your meat and your uh, milk and cows. And uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, we right. had a little bit of ca- cattle just to feed the family, I guess. What's your earliest memory you can recall? Is there a story or anything that you remember? I remember as a young kid uh, playing outside and on one of our old sheds, we had a kind of a chain that hung down to kind of keep the door latched. And as a kid and you see these frosty icy mm-hmm. things like every kid did yeah, yeah, you had yeah. to lick it <laughs> and so i licked it and my tongue got froze to the chain yeah and well with a big family you weren't out there for very long because there's enough siblings yeah. running around the yard at the same time so yeah after about five or ten minutes somebody found me with my tongue stuck to this chain and <laughs> and uh yeah yeah got, got me off <laughs> what is the most trouble you got into as a kid Oh, like, I guess maybe not as a kid, but just as a teenager growing up, Yeah, just too many to... <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be one significant one that stands out. Uh, I guess getting caught stealing gas from a neighbor would be a pretty bad reprimand from my dad. Oh, yeah. That stealing gas from somebody that he knew yeah. yeah and then getting caught doing it wasn't a good thing absolutely yeah yeah what did the reprimand look like oh just they didn't really they didn't really have to ground you you just knew at the time that you weren't really going to be doing anything fun for a while this is bad yeah this is bad <laughs> yeah do you remember what your first car was first car was uh camaro z28 oh yeah what year uh 82 me and cousin Steve actually flew to Toronto and then we drove it home oh, yeah. over five days. Came, Te- ho- came home to the States and got in trouble in Chicago and Milwaukee and <laughs> yeah. T-bars out. and I was going to say, tunes, t- tunes, T-roofs? Tunes, yeah. tunes going and yeah, it was a, that was a blast. <laughs> so fast forward to high school's ending probably at the stage where most people in high school are like, well, I should probably do something with my life. 
What did you decide to do after you graduated? You know, why did you have to bring that up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always refer to it as my college days. So uh, after high school, Cousin Rick was applied and got accepted into, uh, it was called STI in Moose Jaw. And I was just going to find work or do something. And probably about the third week of August, like uh, four days before his school started Moose Jaw. He just says, Phil, why don't you come to Moose Jaw with me and come to college? We called it college. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice word. And uh, I said, well, I didn't really even apply to anything or don't even really know what I'd be considering even taking. He said, well, let's just figure it out when we go. So as we're driving to Moose Jaw, we're going around Ring Road in Regina, half hour out of Moose Jaw now. Oh, I don't know. Let's... I don't radio and TV electronics. That sounds like something fun. I could just fix TVs and radios, and yeah, let's let's do that. So, went to Moose Jaw, and uh, I should have known right then and there that I was end up going to be coming into sales because I went into that office, registration office, and uh, I said I'd like to know what's going on if I'm starting school in two days and she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I just need to talk to your supervisor. (laughs) And she goes, why do you need to talk to my supervisor? I said, because you're probably not the one that's going to be able to help me out through this. So what do you mean? Well, my cousin Rick sent his application in. I sent my application in the same time last March. He got accepted. He got a letter saying that he's going to school here and I haven't heard sweet F from you guys. And I want to know if I'm going to school and if I got to rent a place and what's going on school starts in two days well sir what's your can I just please talk to your supervisor <laughs> no that wasn't good enough so then I told my story that I two or three times and finally got to the person that I wanted to talk to and they're like whoa whoa just slow down sir like we're let's let's look into this further and we don't seem to have an application I say oh for the love of God now you can't find my application like I sent it in in March <laughs> I'd never sent in an application by the way <laughs> so anyways after about a half hour of uh, yelling and screaming and exchanging words I stroked him a check for I don't know what the hell it was 500 bucks or a thousand bucks and I'm going to radio and TV electronics right on <laughs> so then we go go house or apartment hunting and found an apartment to stay in and anyways to kind of make a long story short the radio and tv electronics thing didn't go very well because i quit before they kicked me out after two months so is that making a long story short or just making a short story (laughs) what it is (laughs) yeah it was pretty short pretty short lived so i lived in moose jaw then for another month or two after that while rick still continued to go to school he'd come home at lunch and i'd be sitting on the couch having a beer watching <laughs> watching the soaps and i got to bed like at four in the morning and he'd be you know i'm having so much fun and he's going to school so after about another month and rick quit so then we, <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah that was right after that got a few little odd jobs and then uh my dad was driving past uncle frank's business or whatever and says uh, Rudy Don, can you help my boy out? He needs a job. He needs to, he needs to do something with his life. So can you help him out? And so yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Then with Flamin Sales was started working in the yard, and after a couple of years, and just got into the sales. How difficult was it to just start selling? Like to just 
leave from the office in a pickup truck, head in a direction, just go meet customers. Yeah, it was it was pretty tough back then. Yeah. Yeah, just Don put me in a half done with a trail tech five bill transport is what it was. And I just drove around until I seen a farm that had bales and stopped in and it was tough. It mm-hmm. was tough going and, but got to meet lots of people, which I like talking to mm-hmm. farmers. I mean, that's what sales is all about. And I remember doing, did that for like two months and finally drove in the yard one day and Don goes, where's the bale transporter? Where's the bale? Don, I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking sold it, man. No way. Yeah, so that was, that, was, that was pretty pumped. Yeah. Had 20,000 miles on it, but you sold it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of stops, yeah. That's awesome. What? Well, uh, tell me the feeling you get when you do make a sale. Like, uh, do, you, do you generally get excited when this happens, or is it just old news to you? Or how, how do you just keep the juices flowing uh, it's, still after this No, time? it still gives you a pretty good high. Yeah. The guy's but, got goosebumps just talking about it. Look yeah. at him. Yeah. No, it's, it doesn't matter if it's... Uh, Ten thousand yeah. dollar deal or a hundred thousand dollar deal. It's the same rush. It's the same. You know, you're you did something good for your customer. You're not just taking his money for something. You're yep. hoping to improve his farm by by what I offered him. And yep. uh, yeah, it's it's Solutions. still it's, it's still a still a rush, still a high after all these years. So as you go to these farms and you talk to the customers and you you build those relationships. Talk about building relationships with your customers and how important that is. Well, that's really what it's all about too. And I think after 35 years, that's why I've been as successful as I am is these relationships are, they're not, they're not my customers. They're, I look at them as my friends and, um, I think they look at me as their friend and that's what it's really all about is, you know, knowing them on a personal basis and knowing what hockey team they cheer for and know the name of their dog and their wives and um it's just yeah it's more just a solid friendships yeah is what it really is for me it's tough i think for the young guys to start out today that they're knocking on doors and trying to create that get those relationships but for me after all these years it's uh it's not really a job it's yeah but it's, but you did that 30 plus years ago right, right? i mean you had to start somewhere and yeah. relationships happen over the time and yeah you build trust right exactly so i think though what's a little bit different too you spoke to it but if i would rephrase it you mentioned um so it's not about selling it's about providing a solution mm-hmm. it's kind of how you said that i think and what i find neat is you're just interested in driving around the countryside and making friends, which really fits, I'd say, your skill set as a likable guy that can usually entertain people. But I think what's neat is in looking at the success you have and listening to how you sell stuff or the requests you come up with after you've sold something, it is always clear that you are 100% working for the customer. And so it doesn't matter if something breaks down and you take it into the service shop. I watch you with conviction talk to the mechanic. This is what's up. This is who the customer is. This is the deal. This is what needs to happen. And I've always enjoyed watching how you just know that. And it's, it's, I think it really is because you've made friends with these guys. Like you know that. But there's always a Phil story about even when we have rider tickets, it's like, hey, are, hey, Mitch, are you coming to the rider game? No. Okay, cool. I'm going to take one of my customers. 
I'm going to use your ticket if that's cool. And you're always doing something with your customers. And it's not even the customers that necessarily spend the most money with you. It's just guys that you truly want to spend time with. And I've always thought that was cool. And I've always thought that if, you know, you've really put the the work in over the last 30 years to create a relationship with these guys and they're like, oh yeah, this is Phil. He's cool. I also want to drink beer with him. So it's mutual. But these guys that walk in, these these new guys that want to be selling, okay, this is the equipment. This is the price. And I imagine you just look and shake your head a little bit and be like, oh no, you're missing it. First things first, go get a case of beer and then go start drinking it with his wife. And then when he comes in, he's like, what are you doing? It's like, hey, I was just waiting so I could drink a beer with you, but you didn't want to drink a beer with me before. And then all of a sudden, now you know the wife's name and the dog's name, and you have to sleep over, and then they realize you're a cool dude. It's kind of something like that is... 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's it, you know, even today, you know, versus 30 years ago, all the customers can view the equipment online. They can do their own research. They're probably a little more educated than they were back then. But at the end of the day, people still buy from people, right? And I don't think anybody uh, at this table would have bought something from somebody they do not trust, right? So you do a very good job, and you set the example for the young guys of, of setting the tone and building trust with the customer to make the sale easy. Yeah, for sure. Like what you had mentioned there, uh, these farmers, they get all the information online. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and I will be the first to admit that I don't know everything about all of the products that we sell. And um, that's why I'm still coming to all these sales meetings after all these years, because today I'm still learning stuff. Yeah. But um, no, you just, the, the farmers, my, my friends, my customers, whatever, if they know what they're after, um, they've already done a lot of the homework online. They know what they want. All I ask for is, uh, is the opportunity. Yeah. Don't get every deal. I don't even mind losing the deal as long as I had a crack at it. As long as you got the phone call. As long as I got the phone call and don't lose very many after all these years, but, uh, and it doesn't really, lot doesn't even come down to price. It's coming down to the relationship and the, the trust that they have with me. They know they're, they're not getting, uh, they're, they're getting good product, but they also know what they're getting the next day with just service and uh, what comes with it with the Flamin name. Speak to culture and the difference that Flamin's or Flamin is making in uh, regards to company culture and, and how do you represent that to your customers? I think just when you say culture, I think it's just the, the Flamin name just speaks for itself. You know, when Uncle Frank started the company back in 59, that's where the culture started. And the name, I think, just kind of speaks for itself. Like, they know that if you're dealing with Flamin and they're dealing then with me they know they know what they're getting themselves into yeah you know by just the flama name so can you explain to me how the sales process has changed in the last 30 years from when you were hauling around a trail tech bail transporter to where you are now and i don't imagine these guys texted you 30 years ago so what does that look like now yeah, we never had cell phones in our trucks. We'd, it was just uh, driving around, visiting cu- visiting customers or visiting potential clients, I guess, and notebooks and big binders with uh, sales sheets in it and uh, 
jotting down names and phone numbers and and the train shows was the same thing you had everything all documented with pens and papers and uh yeah like you said handwritten sales orders at at uh at the shows and now i don't know with the technology everything is just all it, my phone is my bible uh everything gets entered into my phone uh reminders you're at the lake on the weekend and you get three guys at phone or text and you know you can either answer their question right then and there but i always just enter in reminders monday morning 8 a.m i go to work and i've got 10 things to do that's my that's my bible so then when i get to work then i transfer that then to like pen and paper and make my notes then off of my phone i've got to call this guy got to call this guy got to call this guy um and now at trade shows it's not even so much writing up business like we used to back in the day uh, hey you're busy i'm busy just continue on and go walk down the street and go sit in combines or look at tractors or whatever you have to do here today but i'm going to come out next week and i'm just going to come for a visit and and then that's how taking yeah. from step one to step two to step three you know like uncle frank would always say why do you got to give them a price on the first phone call become, mm -hmm. you know become their friend and and um you know that's how it was with that's how things have changed now is just not going going for the gusto right when i was young and trying to get the check on the very first phone call or the very first so it's um yeah i got a, a quick question um you had mentioned a couple of times about uh, your uncle frank uh would be uh Mitch's grandpa. Uh, what is uh, some of the stories you recall about Frank as you started selling? Um, what kind of uh, advice or uh, or um, direction did he give you? Well, I just learned from the best, I think, because Uncle Frank's door was uh, like growing up working on working in the yard. Uncle Frank was still living in the the old farmhouse there, and. Um, whatever truck driver would come in with a load of bins and then well where are you going come on in come on in for dinner and customers would come and pick up their bins and they would come in to the office and have a cold beer or have a sandwich and i'm just thinking well this is kind of cool like look at uncle frank that's must be another one of his buddies well it wasn't his buddy it was his customer but his customers yep. became his buddies yep and that's uh just the way uncle frank treated his customers I think uh you know then Rudy and Don fell into those footsteps and then I fell into their footsteps that yeah I think that's the customer service side of the bit are there stories about Frank like flying parts up to like Hudson Bay or Nippon or areas like that and he would end up staying a day or two and then flying home well I just heard of those stories because yeah. I would go to a customer's place 20 years later what's frank up to these days you know that crazy bugger he landed on the gravel road here and he brought me some parts <laughs> or whatever and you heard that i heard that story like a hundred times yeah from a hundred different people from a hundred different people yeah. from all over the province that crazy bugger he flew under those power lines and he landed on the road and drove his plane into the yard and like that's that's pretty wild that's cool that's cool I remember I was in uh, Alberta and I pulled in this yard and this guy's talking to me. Oh, 
So your last name is Flamin. Yep. So I assume Frank must be your grandpa then. Yeah. And he points over to the shop and clearly like there was an upper window in the shop. It was a nice shop, big shop. And um, so it had like a second level and he just pointed to it and he says, 18 years ago, your grandpa came here and he had to sleep on that bedroom up there. And I was like, yeah, well, 18 laters, I guess. I, 18 years later, I will see, I guess, if I have to sleep over here too or not. But Phil, what are you passionate about? Uh, <clears throat> passionate about sports and traveling. And um, lots of people know this, but... Uh, I want to visit every NHL rink in the league. And I do a sports trip every year, lots lots with buddies. Uh, there's about three trips that I am <clears throat> including my wife in, which would be like Vegas, New York, and Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so my wife got to come with me on my sports trip two weeks ago to Nashville. Nice. So I took in a hockey game, and that was my 18th rink. Wow. So far out of 32. And uh, I want to do every every rink. And the last one that I'm going to see is Montreal. Yeah. Because I don't care for them. <laughs> well, I was going to ask I, you, is there one I, rink that you're really looking forward I, to? I, I, hate the, I hate the Habs. And that's uh, 12 rinks to go. So that'll be... 54, 64, be about 66 years old. And I kind of always said it jokingly when I started these sports trips that uh, Montreal will be my last. And I hopefully on that last year when I have to go to Montreal, I die of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're getting actually closer to the end here. And that only takes me to like 66. So I'm hoping I'm going to be living now by then. And we'll just have to do the last Montreal trip, I guess. But. <laughs> Right on. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Flamin' Connect. For Mitch Flamin' and Regan Kuntz, I'm Trevor Grindy. Join us next time. Talk to you soon.